Hello and welcome to edition number 1971 of the Whitney Talking News, which we are recording at the High Street Methodist Church in Whitney on Thursday the 27th of July. I am Debbie Diacon and I edited this edition. Beside me at the recording controls we have Graham Diacon and this week we have items from the Whitney Gazette, the Chipping uh, Chipping Norton News and the Countryman magazine. Our four readers are Byron Russell, Bridget Walton, Henry Spielberg and Jean Thompson. So let's have our first story, which is about a further consultation about the future of Whitney High Street, and it will be read by Byron. Thank you very much, Debbie. And yes, the headline reads that the future of the High Street will be led by the public. Shoppers, motorists and traders are finally to have their say on the future of Whitney High Street, which has been controversially closed to most vehicles since 2020. Oxfordshire County Council has awarded around £2 million from the government's active travel fund for improvements in April last year. It has now been announced that public engagement exercises on how to spend the cash will take place between September 5th and October 2nd, with a leading councillor insisting that the design will be led by the people of Whitney. The exercises will take a variety of forms, including the County Council's online portal, some stakeholder engagement, further discussions with the business community, as well as a full open day for members of the public to have their say in person. Meanwhile, plans for new temporary measures to help smarten the high street and remove the existing planters are still on track to be in place in time for the crucial Christmas trading period. Councillor Duncan Enright, Cabinet Member for Travel and Development Strategy at Oxfordshire County Council, said The work to gather ideas and opinions for the future of the High Street, to make it a nicer place to walk, cycle, shop, eat and stay, will take place in early September. The Council wants any design to be led by the people of Whitney. There will be an ongoing consultation as well as two drop-in events during September where residents can share their thoughts and suggestions. Further details of these will be provided in the coming weeks. Leader of Whitney Town Council, Ruth Smith, acknowledged the plan had been a long time coming. She said, Cutting the traffic right back on the high street has enabled us all to reimagine it without a traffic jam and exhaust fumes right up it. It's frustrating and irritating that we have had to wait a year longer than initially promised. Some will be bored, but please don't lose interest. On September the 9th, a drop-in event will be held all day at the Methodist Church and at the Corn Exchange on the evening of September the 19th. Businesses and transport companies and users will also have workshops. Ruth Smith said, If we view the delay as the gift of time, if we take in the surroundings and the situation and feed in the best bits of places we admire elsewhere and practical information about what currently works and does not work, we can co-create a high street that invites us to dwell and meet and, yes, spend money and makes us proud of our beautiful historic town. Ideas raised at a workshop last July, including fully pedestrianising the square, 
although there was recognition that this would need a lot more than £1.9 million, as it would require a fully developed transport plan for buses, taxis and deliveries. Signage, better enforcement of the restrictions, softening of the pavements to make the area more accessible for wheelchairs was considered, as well as looking at ways to expand the market stall area, which is not possible currently due to the bus, taxi and blue budge access. There was discussion of additional seating and a central feature or focal point for the market square, which could be used for displays and music. There were also strong hopes the market would expand. Chair of the Chamber of Commerce, David Gambier, said, There was certainly a hope that once the £1.9 million boost demonstrated how the area could be improved, it would lead to sustained investment over a much longer period, with a combination of government and private sector funding. Conservative councillors have accused the County Council of dragging its feet on plans for the High Street. Earlier this year, Liam Walker, the County Council's Shadow Cabinet Member for Highway Management, said the High Street had been left in limbo. He also called for another another consultation on the restriction as residents were very split, with over 50% not in favour or having concerns, along with 36 out of 37 of the high street businesses being against. Henry Moe of Sandwich to Whitney, whose business in Market Square has been badly hit by the closure, said, Most people still hope it will be reopened again. And if it's not reopened, there's not much that can be done with £2 million, so I guess seating and bins and hanging baskets. A bigger market won't happen because the current closure has already deterred some existing stallholders who are cutting back their hours. And now we have um, Bridget with a story about a greedy drug dealer. Dealer claims he would be too greedy to sell cocaine. An admitted cannabis dealer was convicted of also selling cocaine in the summer of 2019. Austin Hancock, 24, of New Road, Bampton, claimed that a series of text messages found on his phone by the police referred solely to selling cannabis. But jurors at Oxford Crown Court cited by a majority of 10 to 2 with the prosecution's claim that he was concerned in selling cocaine, a harder Class A drug. Adjourning sentencing until September, Judge Recorder Joseph Hart said, You've been convicted by the jury of a significant and serious drug offence. The overwhelming likelihood is that you now face a custodial sentence. However, I would like to know a little bit more about you. I've heard evidence that your life has changed considerably since 2019. So I will adjourn for a pre-sentence report. But the fact I am adjourning this matter for a pre-sentence report is no indication of the kind of sentence you will face on September the 7th. He added, You should take the time to ensure that those matters which you need to deal with personally are dealt with because the overwhelming likelihood is that you face a custodial sentence. In the meantime, you can have bail. During the trial, Hancock said he was addicted to cocaine at the time, spending around £1,000 a week on the drug. 
He also took around an ounce of cannabis and was gambling heavily. Prosecuting Richard Sedgwick asked the defendant, Why not deal cocaine? It's far more profitable. Hancock replied, I was too greedy. Since his arrest, he has gone to addiction service turning point to address his difficulties with drugs, the jury heard. At a number of points during his evidence, he confessed he could not remember the answers to certain questions, including the number of his customers, saying it was a very long time ago. Earlier, a police drugs expert gave his view on the language used in the text messages. He conceded that some of the references could be to cannabis, such as the unit of weight 9 bar, but he suggested that the figures cited for apparent payments were more consistent with the sale of cocaine. Hancock faces a prison sentence that could be measured in years. Following the conviction, prosecutor Mr Sedgwick said the Crown would argue the defendant had been playing a significant role in the supply of Class A drugs. Taking into account the Sentencing Council's guidelines on drug offences, that would give a starting point of four and a half years' imprisonment before his mitigation was taken into account. And next we have Henry to tell us about a court case concerning wireism. Thank you. Yes, it's titled Man Admits Voyeurism on Woman at Cottage. A London man has admitted an offence of voyeurism committed in Oxfordshire. John Morrison, 27, had originally faced a charge of trespassing in a house in Clanfield on May the 9th with intent to commit a sexual offence. But at Oxford Crown Court on Wednesday of last week, he pleaded guilty to a lesser alternative charge of voyeurism. The charge set out that he had observed a woman, who cannot be identified for legal reasons, doing a private act in the knowledge that she had not consented to being watched. His guilty plea was entered on a basis which was not read out in open court. Judge Maria Lamb agreed to an application from Morrison's barrister, Tom Little KC, for a pre-sentence report from the probation service that would explore potential alternatives to an immediate prison sentence. Bailing him until the sentencing hearing on September the 8th, Judge Lamb told the defendant's lawyer that by adjourning for probation reports, she was giving no indication of the likely sentence. This is an offence which carries a maximum sentence of two years' imprisonment, so that needs to be clear, she said. She told the defendant, You are to come back to this court on September the 8th when you will be sentenced for this offence of voyeurism. The court will have the benefit of a personal statement from the victim of your offence and a pre-sentence report. And now on a cheerier note, Jean has a story about a party in a microbrewery. Hello, this is entitled Hardy Loyal Drinkers Raise a Toast to Microbrewery. And in fact, the first photograph here shows four people toasting and smiling while they toast each other. A microbrewery helped to boost the summer spirit by throwing a party with live music and a chance for drinkers to try its award-winning brews. Hundreds of people donned waterproofs and sheltered under umbrellas to gather at the Little Ox Brew Company in Freeland, near Whitney. 
They sampled the company's huge choice of gluten-free free beers, brews, excuse me, including Wipeout and Hufflepuff, and a full bar, food from Whitehorse Box Pizza, brewery tours, and later in the afternoon, live music from John James Newman. Co-founder of the brewery, Ian Hemingway, said, People didn't get drenched. We had lots of gazebos and indoor space. Everyone was quite snug. In fact, there were a lot more people there than we expected. We've got a lot of hardy, loyal drinkers. The open day is the only time we actually have all our beers on tap so everyone can come down and drink everything on draft. We also have new special beers that people get to try for the first time. On Saturday, it was Mr Blue Sky, which was quite ironic, really. When we saw the weather forecast, we did wonder whether we should go ahead or not. And we did have a few phone calls asking if it was still on. White Horse Box Pizza were even quite surprised that we were going ahead. But people turned up in their waterproofs and umbrellas. We had an excess of 100 people over the day coming and going. Little Ox Brewery was created seven years ago and is run by a team of five, all from surrounding villages. In 2021, it announced the launch of a partnership with Oxford United FC to create brand new licensed beer, Lucky You. Mr Hemingway, who lives in Wooden, near Woodstock, previously worked as a research scientist and before that he had a kitchen and bathroom business. But he believes brewing will be his final career. He said, It started as an adventure that took me beyond home brewing and I decided to make it a commercial brewery. We usually have 10 to 12 beers a month to choose from, plus one special. The most popular brew is a 4.8% IPA with a citrus and tropical fruit flavour, which has an orange label and the colour of Fred Flintstone's shirt. It has been named Beer of the Festival in blind tastings at Oxford Beer Festival twice. It is called Yabba Dabba Do. It's called that because that's the way it makes you feel when you drink it, said Mr Hemingway. And the headline today reads, uh, Patient satisfaction with GP services has fallen. Patient satisfaction with GP services in Oxfordshire fell this year, new figures have shown. The Royal College of GPs has said the numbers show a continuing national decline in patient satisfaction, which reveals an overstretched and overburdened service. In a survey conducted between January and April this year, it was found that 72.6% of patients in Buckinghamshire, Oxfordshire and Berkshire West Integrated Care Board said that they had a very good or fairly good overall experience with their GP. This number was down from 74.5% in 2022. Dr Michael Mulholland, Honorary Secretary of the Royal College of GPs, said... It is always difficult to hear when patients report unsatisfactory experiences or have difficulties accessing our services. Yet we do share their frustrations. GPs and our teams want to be able to deliver safe, timely and appropriate care for their patients. 
Dr Mulholland said significant investment was required to curb the rate of GP turnover and to bolster the workforce with young GPs. He said, Our priority should be to alleviate the pressures on GP teams, allowing them to do what they do best, caring for their patients. In 2023, 13.5% of patients said that they had had a fairly poor or very poor experience, while 13.9% of patients said their experience was neither good nor bad. School to grow to keep pace with new homes. A West Oxfordshire secondary school is expanding to cope with the rising number of children moving into new housing in the area. River Learning Trust has submitted a planning application for a new two-storey teaching building and extended sports changing room facilities at Marlborough School in Woodstock to meet the increasing demand from the development in the catchment area. Planning documents say it will allow the school to provide 1,050 places for 11 to 16-year-olds with an additional 30 pupils per year group. It said the new facilities would be required for use by the school at the beginning of the 2024 academic year. The new two-storey building will contain six state-of-the-art classrooms, an office and WCs. It will be to the west of the site, meaning a number of car parking spaces will be removed and an existing single-storey classroom will be demolished. However, a new car park at the front of the site will replace these car spaces along with additional parking to meet the planned expansion. Planning documents say the proposal also includes a significant improvement of highway safety and access. Currently there are three vehicle access points along the front of the main school. It is proposed to reduce these to two to allow for increased coach parking within the school site, to improve pupil safety by providing coach pickup within the site and off the public road network. At present, coaches park along Shipton Road, and this causes a highways obstruction, the document state. The extension to the sports building will provide additional changing rooms following Sport England guidelines and area guidelines for schools. The expansion proposals also include various internal alterations to the existing buildings that don't require planning consent. The application says there has been a pre-consultation process with West Oxfordshire District Council that did not raise any significant or funds, I beg your pardon, or fundamental concerns. A design and access statement prepared by Thinking Buildings concludes... The proposals seek to provide the essential accommodation required to meet the needs of the expanded role to a seven form of entry. It has been designed to minimise impacts on neighbouring residential properties whilst also creating a distinctive and contemporary images for the school that reflects that it is in an educational building of today suitable for modern day teaching and learning. Woodstock Town Council said while it has no comments to make on the details of the proposal, it would like both the District and County Council to request the relevant S106 contributions 
including, but not limited to, Woodstock swimming pool improvements and transport slash public transport improvements. And I've got three short items to read. Firstly, titled Circus Dinner is listed among best eateries. A circus and dinner show has featured in the Times' list of the 49 best places to eat this summer. Fool's Delight Circus in Bampton was ranked 23rd by the national newspaper. Described as a circus and dinner for all ages, it puts on a two-part family-friendly circus in the day and a five-course dinner for adults in the evening. Fool's Delight appeared alongside three other Cotswold eateries chosen by Tom Newest and Peter Creed, the restaurateurs behind the Bell Inn in Langford and the Lamb Inn in Shipton. The circus and dinner show at Ham Court was started by Lil Rice, Sam Goodburn and Dave Cross, who is head chef. And there's an accompanying photo of the circus. The next story is alleged arsonist arrested. A man accused of setting fire to a car in West Oxfordshire has appeared in front of a Crown Court judge. A warrant was issued for Gary Smith's arrest earlier this month when he failed to turn up to his trial at Oxford Crown Court. Appearing in front of Judge Maria Lamb on Thursday, Smith, 34, of Cotswold Crescent, Chipping Norton, admitted a charge under the Bail Act. He was remanded in custody. Prosecutors allege he was responsible for setting fire to a woman's Audi A1 in Chipping Norton in August 2021, among other allegations. And lastly, a sad story titled Inquest into Death of Man in Crash. An investigation into the death of a 24-year-old killed in a crash near Chipping Norton is concluding this week. Dylan Moyse's silver Audi Audi TT came off the A44 at Crosshands Hill at around 7.50am on November 20th. Paramedics pronounced the technician dead at the scene shortly after at 8.20am. A post-mortem found Mr Moyse's cause of death to be severe head trauma. At the time of his death, the 24-year-old was living in Spring Street in Chipping Norton. He was born in Zimbabwe in 1998. The inquest was due to be heard at Oxford Coroner's Court. The purpose of an inquest is to establish the identity of the person who died and the circumstances surrounding their death. I now have a sporty piece and the uh, start of it is uh, two girls kicking a ball. It's entitled Lionesses Inspire Grassroots Players. As England's Lionesses kicked off their World Cup campaign in Australia, the women footballers of West Oxfordshire declared the team to be an inspiration. Chairman of Whitney Vikings, Steve Bott, has led a revolution of girls' football in Whitney Vikings Youth FC, with the club going from having no girls' team in 2017 to being absolutely inundated with applications following the Lionesses' win in the Euros. Whitney Vikings now has 200 women and girls playing. We have the largest group of girls-only football teams in Oxfordshire. Since the Lionesses, my phone has been ringing off the hook, he said. 
All the players believe the England team is good. The women are excellent role models and they will make the finals or semi-finals. Courtney Lee, 8, who plays for Whitney Vikings under 8s, predicted the Lionesses will do really good. She said, I love playing football because it makes me happy and it's my favourite and it helps me with my disability and I love being part of a team. Dorothy Lloyd of Whitney Vikings Ladies believes the Lionesses will make the finals and the championship will be a catalyst for women's football. Timmy, 33, from Carterton Town Ladies, agreed that the World Cup, which takes place in Australia and New Zealand from July the 20th to August the 20th, will provide a further boost for women's football at a grassroots level. She said... The Lionesses will get first place, of course. I have always been into ball games, so playing football makes me feel great. It trains my brain, improves my concentration and coordination, promotes teamwork and boosts confidence. Mum, Laura Hobley, whose son and daughter play for Whitney Vikings, said she loves the game, but particularly enjoyed seeing girls play. I used to play when I was younger and loved the fitness side, but also the social side, she said. It's a wonderful sport. My daughter is in a wonderful team of girls who play together every week and have formed a beautiful friendship over the past two to three years. And Chloe Clarkson, 24, who is currently playing on a casual basis, said, I grew up in a boys' football team. I've played since I was six until I was 16. I nearly had to leave when I was 15. But a lovely young woman fought to get girls to keep playing for another year. I absolutely loved playing against boys because, of course, I could slide tackle them and prove girls can play football too. And now we have a story about a care home which has been criticised over bad smells and cleanliness. A care home was criticised by inspectors over the lack of cleanliness, bad smells and a hazardous window. Enston House on Cox Lane, Enston, near Chipping Norton, was rated as requires improvement, the second lowest rating possible by the Care Quality Commission. The Care Quality Commission is the independent regulator of health and social care in England. This was the third time in a row that Enston House was handed a Requires Improvement rating. The inspectors raised concerns that residents at the care home were at a potential risk of harm. The report, released on July the 12th, reads, We found risks to people were not always managed safely. We found one window restrictor was broken and another was not secured safely. This put people at potential risk of harm. One person at risk of falls had an unsecured freestanding wardrobe and an electric heater in their room. However, there were no risk assessments completed for either and the use of the electric heater posed a fire risk. The inspectors also raised concerns about the cleanliness of the care home. The report continued... We were not assured that the provider was promoting safety throughout the layout and hygiene practices of the premises. On our first day of the inspection, 
The home had malodors. The home cleaner had taken short notice absence and the carpets had not been shampooed in a month following equipment failure. No clear arrangements had been made to ensure effective cover for the absence of home's ancillary member of staff in the carpets. Cleaning records had gaps and there was no clear cleaning schedule in place. At the time of the inspection, Enston House was caring for 26 people, some of whom had dementia. The inspectors did find that people at the home were supported to have maximum choice and control over their lives. The report reads, Staff had a good understanding of when the principles of the Mental Capacity Act should be applied. However, the mental capacity assessments did not cover all areas where decisions needed to be assessed. People's needs were assessed before they came to live at Enston House to ensure staff could meet those needs. Staff completed an induction, which included mandatory training and shadowing an experienced member of staff, and had access to supervisions and appraisals. People and relatives told us the staff were skilled and knowledgeable. The CQC was established in 2009 to regulate and inspect health and social care providers across the nation. 20 miles per hour for all of Chippy. Oxfordshire County Council want to go ahead with the plan for 20 mph speed limits throughout Chipping Norton, replacing the majority of 30 mile per hour limits. They are asking for public objections or comments by the 30th of June before going ahead. The implementation likely to be in 2024. The overall plan was requested and is supported by Chipping Norton Town Council. OCC are implementing similar schemes across the county in an £8 million scheme. The 20 MPH limits will go much further than the current limited scheme. It will be on all minor town residential roads and be extended on the town's main roads as follows. Burford Road up to the Chalbury Turn, up London Road to Russell Way, Banbury Road past Aldi, over Norton Road past Park Road, and Churchill Road past Walterbush Road. Hence all roads outside our schools will have 20 MPH limits. Visit letstalk.oxfordshire.gov.uk slash chippingnorton underscore two zero. Very interesting story next. The editor, Debbie, said she wasn't sure whether to include this story, but then decided that there are all sorts of people in this world with all sorts of belief. So here's the article. You may need to suspend your disbelief. The title is Singer Divorces Ghost of Hunky Victorian Soldier. A singer-songwriter who married what she says was the ghost of a Victorian soldier says they are divorced less than a year later. Brookard, a goth poet and performer originally from Whitney, met devilishly handsome Eduardo when he burst into her bedroom one dark and stormy night. The artist, real name Elena Salter, said, It's funny, because I did not necessarily believe in ghosts. I wasn't one of those strange people who would sit there every evening with a Ouija board looking to contact the dead. I was open, which I think is why he may have latched on to me. She said, 
I was unsettled and unable to sleep. I tossed and turned, preoccupied by an argument I'd had with a friend. It, it was an upsetting night and rain was lashing at the windows. Out of nowhere, I felt an intense burning in my heart. A warm breath on her neck then whispered, I love you, before the spirit departed and the room fell cold. Brocard posted a video of their wedding ceremony on Instagram, where she was seen dressed in black at the Asylum Chapel in London on Halloween in 2022, with an empty space where Eduardo was said to have been standing. However, their honeymoon in Barry Island, Wales, was disastrous. Brocard said Eduardo would become increasingly possessive and would switch between being warm and intense and threatening. She said, After our initial meeting, Eduardo slowly revealed more about himself to me. I saw his image as a Victorian soldier. He was always in his uniform, even on our wedding day. His face is devilishly handsome, shoulder-length unruly hair, he looks lived in, well-worn, troubled almost. There's a pain attached to his being. But she said he had an unsettling fascination with Marilyn Monroe. He'd disappear for days on end and reappear, smelling of Chanel Number no. 5, she said. Her latest single, Just Another Anthem, which she described as her empowering divorce track, is out now. The fashion designer whose dresses and jackets with her lyrics and poetry embroidered across the chest have been worn by Katy Perry and Lady Gaga. She sang about the chaos COVID-19 created in a track called World Upside Down. It was praised by Whitesnake's David Coverdale for its dynamic style at the crossroads of opera and heavy metal. In 2020, the trained opera vocalist obtained listed building consent for repair work at North Lee Windmill, which used to belong to her great-grandfather. She is, she admits, an emotionally intense woman, fascinated with the obscure, who has built her own unique world, a one-woman brand, inspired by the spooky, who crafts words and music which deeply resonates so deeply with those who sit outside of the ordinary. Inspired by her most painful moments, she describes it as taking beauty from darkness, and her songs encompass the full box set of human emotions, from humour and satire to malevolence and raw, unapologetic fragility. It's symphonic rock with a soft centre. Musically and aesthetically, it took me a long time to find my voice, she admits. Becoming Brocard was my way or the highway. I know who I am better than anyone else, and having that confidence and passion to follow my gut in such an uncompromising way is liberating. And a complete change now. I have uh, two short items. One's called uh, Popular Outdoor Pool Finally Opens for Summer. Woodstock Open Air Swimming Pool is finally open after a two-month delay. The pool is generally open from April to the end of August, but this year the schedule was put back due to soaring energy costs. It is set to remain open until Sunday, the September the 3rd. There will be additional activities laid on during the school summer holidays, including diving lessons, learn-to-swim courses, 
pool party sessions and the ever-popular Bring Your Dog for a Swim. District Councillor Joy Aitman said, These changes save the council and its leisure operator a significant amount of money and reduce our carbon footprint by not having to heat the pool during the colder spring months. Secondly, A40 drink driver banned. A man has been disqualified from driving for a year after he was caught drink driving at speed. Sivatoslav Kruchuk, 43, from Hobbs Hill Road in Hertfordshire, was sentenced for drink driving in Oxford Magistrates Court last Thursday. Kruchuk pleaded guilty to one count of driving a motor vehicle while over the prescribed limit of alcohol. He was fined £785. Sergeant James Matthews said, I'm appalled at the standard of driving and the risk Kruchok put the public and himself in. I'm pleased he has been swiftly convicted of this offence. And the next headline reads, Date Rape Drug Predator Gets 22-Year Jail Time Cut. A sexual predator who picked up a married man outside a Chelsea bar and then drove to his West Oxfordshire cottage has had three years wiped from his jail sentence. Senior judges at the Court of Appeals said the judge who jailed Luis da Silva Neto for 22 years for drugging and sexually assaulting two men in Middle Barton, near Chipping Norton, had failed to take account of the fairness of the overall sentence. Reducing the overall jail term from 22 years to 19, Lord Justice Davis said, This man, at the end of 2021, engaged in a brief course of conduct involving sexually predatory behaviour. It had to be reflected by a substantial sentence, but in our judgment, the sentence imposed failed to reflect the appropriate proportionality that had to be achieved. Judge Michael Gledhill, KC, told the Brazilian man he had become a sexual predator as he jailed him last July. Jurors at Oxford Crown Court convicted him of administering drugs to two victims in November and December 2021 and sexually assaulting them. He was cleared of other offences, including kidnapping the second man, admitted personal possession of a party bag of illegal drugs that had been found in his car in October 2021. One of the victims was drinking with colleagues at Raffles Bar in Chelsea's King's Road when he left intending to get a taxi, then cancelled it after getting into the Silver Netto's car. The defendant had spent the evening looking to pick up a man. The victim woke the following morning naked in a stranger's bed in Oxfordshire, and when he got into a taxi, discovered he was miles away from home. In an impact statement, he said, The sense of panic I felt that morning is indescribable. Judge Gledhill imposed 12 years imprisonment for the rape of the second man and a further 10 years for the sexual assault on the first. On Tuesday of last week, defence advocate Sally Bennett Jenkins KC told the Court of Appeal that the judge had imposed consecutive sentences for the offending against each of the two victims but without any apparent adjustment for totality. 
judges would ordinarily reduce the prison terms for each offence where consecutive sentences were imposed in order to give a fair overall sentence. Lawyers call that process having regard to totality. The barrister accepted that Judge Gledhill made a passing reference to totality, but she added, When one analyses the sentences passed and the fact that two lead offences were of lengthy periods, we suggest that the concept has not been sufficiently nor proper allowance made for totality. Miss Bennett Jenkins said that it does not appear that any significant nor adequate reduction was made by the judge to take account his personal mitigation, previous good character and lack of aggravating features to the offending such as the use or threat of violence. Given the judgment of the panel of the three appeal judges, Lord Justice Davis said, It is quite clear that the appellant's offending was very serious indeed. It was very serious in respect of both victims, who were quite separate. The effect of the offending on them has been very substantial. But even where each victim suffers grievously from the offending, the requirement for the overall sentence to be proportionate remains. We have concluded the judge should have adjusted the overall sentence to take account of the principles of totality. And now uh, it's time for the notice board. We have the following listener with a birthday this week. It's Mrs Rosemary Gibbons of Whitney. So we wish you many happy returns. And sadly there have been the following deaths reported in the Gazette this week. Donald Geoffrey Shackle on 18th of July, aged 92 years, and Alan Banfield, no age or date given, but it says he was in the wonderful Newland house. We extend our condolences to both the families and friends of the deceased. So um, an item that I've been asked to tell you about is about the opportunity to get your electric blanket checked um, for free to check it safe before you need to use it in the winter and you have to ring up and book a safety check appointment so um, the relevant dates for us are Thursday the 21st of September they will be in Glime Hall Albion Street Chipping Norton And on Thursday, 5th of October, they'll be at the WODC offices in Wood Green, Whitney. So you need to ring up uh, this number, 01865 895999 and choose option 3 and tell them you want to book your electric blanket in for a safety check. As well as listening to the US DB stick you receive from us each week, there are several other ways to listen to our editions and magazines, including podcast, internet, on our website, which is wtn.org.uk. Follow the link to listen online. And if on any week you do not receive a memory stick from us, or there's a technical problem producing them, You can always listen on the phone by dialing 01993 555986. 
And please stay tuned at the end of this edition for the TFN radio listings and audio-described TV programmes for the coming week. And next we turn to the quiz. And here are the answers to last week's questions. Which July is a national holiday in the USA? Oh, sorry. Which July day is a national holiday in the USA? July 4th. Number two, who stepped on the moon on July 21st? Neil Armstrong. Yes, Neil Armstrong. Number three, which gemstone, a variety of the mineral corundum, and which symbolizes contentment, is the birthstone of July? The answer is ruby. Many symbolic associations, including love, passion, (coughs) wealth, and peace. Number four, which zodiac sign ends on July 22nd? And uh, you get an extra point, which sign comes right after it? So the answer is Cancer and followed by Leo. And number five, a famous festival is held in Whitstable, Kent each year for three days in July, celebrating which food? Oysters. And now for this week's questions, which are all about summer more generally. Question number one. What is the name of the astronomical start of summer in the Northern Hemisphere? Question number two. Which famous playwright wrote the play A Midsummer Night's Dream? Question number three. In which country is the Running of the Bulls Festival held during the summer? And you get an extra point if you can name the city. Question number four. Which annual sporting event is held in Henley-on-Thames and is famous for its rowing races and social gatherings? And number five. In which month does the Royal Ascot horse racing event take place each year in England? Now it's time for uh, Editor's Choice, and I've found an article in the Countryman magazine that I hope you find interesting. It's about the Rollwright Stones. And it's entitled The Secrets of the Stones, and it's by Sean Ellis. The Rollwright monuments on the border of Oxfordshire and Warwickshire have been fascinating people for centuries. Natural surface boulders of Jurassic oolitic limestone, they were dragged into place from within a range of around 550 yards of their locations and comprised three distinctive main elements within a short walk of each other. The Whispering Knights, that date from around 3800 to 3500 BC, the King's Men, Circle, around 2500 BC and the solitary king's stone around 1500 BC. The names evoke the legend of the aforementioned king who was challenged by a witch. Seven long strides shalt thou take and if long Compton thou canst see king of England thou shalt be. But the eager king was foiled when on his seventh stride The ground rose up into a mound, obscuring his view, and the cackling hag turned him to stone where he stands to this day, 
just below the grassy knoll. His men too were petrified, while the witch, according to the legend, shapeshifted into an elder tree. Many theories, scientific and otherwise, have evolved to explain the origins and purpose of these prehistoric monuments, including that name that the name Rollright derives from Old English for property of Horolla. The earliest found written record, the 14th century De Mirabilis Britanniae, The Wonders of Britain, by an unidentified cleric, notes the existence of the quote-unquote great stones, but is mystified as to their origins. Others proposed pre-Roman or druidical origins or sought astronomical alignments, while the 18th century antiquarian William Stukeley lyrically described the stones as being corroded like worm-eaten wood by the harsh jaws of time. Unfortunately, it wasn't just natural elements that gnawed away at the stones, as 19th century visitors habitually chipped off bits for souvenirs or lucky charms. None too soon, the stones were included in the schedule of the first Ancient Monuments Protection Act in 1882, enabling them to be safeguarded by the state while remaining in private ownership. Today, the stones are owned by the Rollwright Trust, a charity that aims to protect and conserve the monuments alongside promoting related research and educational activities. English Heritage is responsible for repairing any damage to the stones. Taken chronologically, we come first to the early Neolithic whispering knights, whose weather-worn forms lean together as if conspiring. They are part of the remains of a portal dolmen burial chamber, Four upright stones, three form the doorway-like portal façade, and a fallen capstone which originally sat on top. Built by the first farming communities in the area, using wooden rollers, levers and sledges to manoeuvre the stones into place, the burial chamber was designed to impress. It is thought from the composition of the soil beneath the stones that the tomb may originally have been built in a woodland glade. The tomb has never been excavated, but a piece of human bone that washed out has been dated to about 1700 BC, while early Neolithic Beaker and Bronze Age pottery finds in the vicinity suggest the site was venerated over many centuries. Some 440 yards away, across now open fields, we come to the late Neolithic King's Men Stone Circle. Legend says the 70 or so stones, irregularly spaced in a circle more than 30 yards in diameter, are uncountable. But if you do tot them up three times and come to the same number, you can have any wish you want. Antiquarian and archaeological evidence suggests that there were once probably 105 stones standing cheek by jowl in a continuous circle with a levelled interior and portaled entrance opposite the tallest stone. Stone circles of a similar design to the King's Men occur in the Lake District, Ireland and possibly Wales. It's thought the site served as a communal ceremonial gathering place. 
To reach the King's Stone, you have to somewhat incongruously cross a road running along the Ridgeway, stepping across the county boundary into Warwickshire. The monument, a strange crooked shape thanks to chipping by erstwhile souvenir hunters, is believed to have been erected as a permanent marker for a Bronze Age cemetery. The discovery of a later well-furnished Saxon burial of a female has led one researcher to describe the area as a supernaturally charged topography of power. Although farming and other human activities have altered the wider countryside of the Rollwright stones over subsequent centuries, you still feel a potent sense of how this landscape became layered with special monumental significance through nearly two millennia of building. There is a modern twist in the tale, too. The stone circle may not have been built on an astronomical alignment, but the Rollwrights have been granted dark sky discovery site status thanks to clear night sky views, mercifully free from light pollution. And finally, the Rollwright stones are at Little Rollwright, Chipping Norton. And you can, uh, for information on visiting the site, go to rollwrightstones.co.uk. I hope you found that interesting. Um, I'm surprised it didn't mention the road, because the road is... to welcome the Reverend Hilary Ewing, who's going to share her reflection for us. Thank you. Good to be with you again. For this reflection, the first words of a poem by the poet and engraver William Blake came to mind. Joy and woe are woven fine, a clothing <clears throat> for the soul divine. And I've also been thinking about the word lament, because I looked ahead at today's date and saw that my diary mentioned that today is Tisha B'Av, that is, the ninth day of the Jewish month of Av which falls in July or August in our Western calendar. It's a solemn day of fasting, prayer and lament because it commemorates a number of tragedies that have befallen the Jewish people over the years, which have happened on this day. These include the destruction of the first temple, Solomon's Temple, in Jerusalem in 586 BC by Nebuchadnezzar, the destruction of the second temple, by the Romans in AD 70, and several expulsions of Jews from parts of Europe. After the first temple was destroyed, a great number of the people were taken into exile in Babylon. And many of us will be familiar with the opening line of the famous lament over this devastating event, which forms the backdrop to Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat down and we wept when we remembered Sion. Those of us over a certain age may well remember the Boney M version of the psalm too. This was released in 1978, was awarded a platinum disc, and is in the top ten all-time best-selling singles in the UK. Laments are an inevitable part of life, so I wonder what you lament most of us will have personal tragedies or failures to lament. Many of us perhaps lament that today's children and young people do not know the simpler and freer lifestyle that we knew as children and young people, going off to play with others, 
And I remember paddling in the ford, which was quite some distance from home, with no adult supervision. I think all of us will lament to the drop in standards of courtesy, integrity and decency in some aspects of our public life and lament that common sense often seems in short supply. After the destruction of Solomon's temple, the prophet Jeremiah, nicknamed the Weeping Prophet, who witnessed the terrible events and had repeatedly tried to warn the people to turn away from rebellion and to turn back to God, wrote the short book of Lamentations, which will be read in many places today. It makes grim reading because of the subject matter, but it ends on a note of restoration, and in the middle it has these encouraging words, which remind us that hope is present, even in the midst of sorrow and lament. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, and great is his faithfulness. Thank you, Hilary, for your thoughtful reflection, and we look forward to your next visit to us. Thank you. So now we'll have a second set of stories from this week's papers, and we start with sport. There are two sport items, and the first one will be read by Byron. Thanks, Debbie, and yes, the... Uh... Headline is, Plenty of Time to Stake Place Came, or even Claim. Liam Manning says there is still plenty of time for players to force their way into the start lineup when Oxford United's season kicks off on August the 5th. Between now and the curtain raiser, away to Cambridge United, Manning's side have just one pre-season friendly to go, when they welcome Skybet Championship outfit Queen's Park Rangers on Saturday. The starting 11s, which played against Eastleigh and Swansea City last week, were arguably stronger than the one which faced Bristol City in a behind-closed-doors clash on Saturday. However, United's head coach Manning says he is yet to select a side for the trip to Cambridge and that a lot can happen between now and then. He told BBC Radio Oxford Sport, I'm not going to show my hand. I haven't picked a team yet. There's a lot that can happen, whether it be in training or in the QPR game. There's still a lot to play for and a lot to happen. We need the team and the squad. We need everybody in it. All the lads have to be ready to step in and ultimately do their best for the team and the club when called upon. A Tommy Conway double plus strikes from Andreas Wyman and Jason Knight, ensured Bristol City beat United 4-1 at the weekend. Conway gave the hosts the lead. However, Gatlin O'Donkor equalised with quarter of an hour played. Manning said, I actually thought we started really well, and in the first 30 minutes there were some really good bits, and we responded really well to conceding a little bit against the run of play. He added, I think we've had a really positive week and the first three weeks we hit the lads really hard in training, tactically and physically. This week's been about stretching them in the games. Touchwood, as far as I'm aware, everyone's come through it quite well without any major casualties. So it's a real positive week when I look at the minutes that we've got into people and some of the bits that I've seen in games. Winner of Love Island signs for Puritans. 
Banbury United have signed former Love Island winner Finn Tapp. The 23-year-old defender was at Oxford City when he won the winter version of the reality TV show back in February 2020. Tapp came through the ranks at MK Dons, making three appearances for the club. He was released at the end of the 2018-19 season and joined the Hoops, managed by Puritans boss Mark Jones at the time. On signing for the Puritans, Tapp said, I'm really excited to sign with the club. It's been a positive pre-season for us and I'm buzzing for the season to start. Oxford City won 3-2 at Banbury, with the goals coming during a pulsating first half. A trialist gave the Puritans the lead after ten minutes, when he took advantage of a loose ball. However, the hoops levelled when Josh Parker took down Josh Ashby's pass and lobbed Jack Harding. With 26 minutes on the clock, the hosts regained the lead, when another trialist capitalised on an error in the city backline and rounded Chris Haig. Just after the half-hour mark, Ashby levelled matters after Parker out-muscled his marker and slid the ball across the box. Three minutes later, the hoops went ahead for the first time when Parker caught Harding off his line and finished with aplomb. Film Boffin offers a blockbuster tip. With movie lovers flocking to the cinemas following the release of the new blockbusters Barbie and Oppenheimer, an Oxford University researcher has provided advice on which one to watch first. The long-awaited Barbie movie, starring Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling, is competing with the release of Oppenheimer, in which Oxford actress Florence Pugh stars alongside Peaky Blinders actor Killian Murphy. The Barbie movie is a comedy which has been directed by Greta Gerwig and focuses on the famous doll, while Oppenheimer is a biographical thriller which is based on the physicist J. Robert Oppenheimer and his role in developing the first atomic bomb. With many film fans weighing up which movie to watch first, an Oxford researcher has provided advice. Sander Wagner, 40, said that Barbie would be the ideal dessert after watching the more intense Oppenheimer. He said, Oppenheimer's probably the more heavy movie that, from everything I've heard, takes a bit of digesting. I think Barbie is a fun movie to watch after a drink and it works much more like a palate cleanser or dessert. Mr Wagner said he would watch Oppenheimer with his girlfriend and friends in Oxford. After the movie has finished, Mr Wagner said, after that we'll have probably one or two drinks and dinner at a bar and then we'll head back to the movie theatre and watch the 9pm Barbie performance, he said. Fellow moviegoer Matt Durrant, a 29-year-old HR manager, agreed Barbie should be watched second. I would prefer to finish off with a light-hearted thing because the idea is that I think we're going to go to the pub, he said. Outlining his plans... He said, it's quite funny how they're both out at the same time and that's part of the appeal for going to see them at the same time. There's a lot of hype because a lot of people just haven't been back to the cinema since the pandemic. It's good to support the arts and it feels a bit like a homecoming for the cinema. 
Barbie and Oppenheimer are both being screened at Whitney Cineworld. Oppenheimer is also being shown at the Living Room Cinema in Chipping Norton. I have a piece entitled Mayor's Tribute to Firefighter and there's a photograph which shows uh, firefighter uh, Russell Pratt holding a mounted firefighter's axe and four of the presentation party. The article says, Town Mayor Sandra Coleman led the way at an event to mark the retirement of on-call crew manager Russell Pratt at Chipping Norton Fire Station on the 31st of May. Russell was hanging up his helmet after 17 and a half years' service. Following a request from Station Officer Mayor Coleman, pictured with Councillor Joe Graves alongside Russell, presented a certificate of thanks and, as is tradition, Russell also received a mounted fire axe with a tally stating his dates of service. Russell was thanked for everything he had done for the crew and the town, nearly 18 years of loyalty and service. He will be greatly missed. Councillors also congratulated the team becoming Oxfordshire's Fire Station of the Year. Chipping Norton's crew have taken part in many community activities, including for children in need, raising over £1,000. They attended the Remembrance Sunday Parade and the Proclamation of King Charles with Town Council and British Legion. At Christmas and in local school visits, they raised vital fire safety awareness. The fire service planned a have-a-go day for potential new recruits as they are always looking for more firefighters. The station's award was presented at an April Blenheim Palace ceremony where 11 Oxfordshire long-service firefighters were also presented with the Queen's Long Service and Good Conduct Medals for 20 years' service. Two short items. The first one, new news agents and convenience store opens. A new news agents and convenience store has opened in Whitney. Whitney Local in Market Square will sell newspapers and magazines, as well as groceries and an off-licence. New landlord Tahir Akram said he will also continue to run his other shop in Mace Newslink, a convenience store in nearby Corn Street. He has extensive business experience, running six shops in total, including some in London and in Slough. He said, We bought the shop nine months ago, but we're waiting to employ staff and so on. We have now carried out a complete refit. Mr Akram's other Newslink store is looking for drivers for early morning shifts. And secondly, top food hygiene ratings. The Prince of Burford Hotel on the A40 in Burford has been handed a five-star food hygiene rating. New food hygiene ratings have been awarded to seven of West Oxfordshire's establishments, the Food Standards Agency's website shows. The top score also went to the Richmond Village in Coral Springs Way Whitney, Airbus at Bryce Norton and Charlbury Town Football and Sports Club in Enston Road, Charlbury. Back Lane Tavern in Park Lane, Woodstock and the Beehive in Blackborton Road, Carterton also received the top rating. Abbeyfield Closure Shock 
Eleven residents and their families at the much-liked Abbeyfield-supported home for elderly at the Old Bakehouse in Chatlington received shock news in May that their home is targeted for potential closure by the charity that runs it. The Abbeyfield family started 60 years ago comprises over 140 member charities running internationally, over 400 local supported living houses and some full care homes. The majority are in the UK and over 100 sites, including Chadlington, are owned and run directly by the largest and main charity, Abbeyfield Society UK. That main charity also provides overall direction for the rest. Even more upsetting, according to families involved, was how representatives from Abbeyfield Society's HQ at a meeting at the old bakehouse called at short notice read a letter to staff, residents and families to begin consultation on a closure, citing costs needed to update and maintain the property to standards required. The formal consultation period is 45 days for staff, after which it seems the elderly residents, many of whom are frail, will have to seek alternative accommodation. Few questions were answered at the meeting. For many, this has been their safe and sociable home with helpful staff and regular meals in a wonderful village setting. The Abbeyfield Society filed annual accounts to March 2022 with significant significant deficit of £15.1 million on turnover of only £47 million. And now we have a story about Hook Norton Brewery, which is one of the very few remaining breweries in the country, which still keeps shire horses to pull their local drays. And it's a bittersweet story which starts off with the title Farewell to Lady Grey. There was sad news from Hook Norton Brewery at the end of May when they had to announce the passing of their beautiful Shire horse mare, Lady Grey. In the short time that she had been in the brewery team, Lady Grey had become a much-loved addition to the Hook Norton community and she will be greatly missed in the village. She was a remarkable horse, a beautiful, bold shire who would pull anything, anywhere. Her CV ranged from filming Good Morning Britain live to pantomime, showing, Santa deliveries and of late her horse-drawn deliveries. She adored her driving work and excelled under saddle. Unfortunately, she was born with a slight heart murmur which was closely monitored a sudden and unexpected deterioration in her condition and a diagnosis of heart failure led to the difficult decision to say goodbye. In happier news, four-year-old Balmoral, the brewery's latest purchase, took first prize at his very first show. He competed against nine other horses at the West Oxfordshire Riding Club show and behaved impeccably. All this whilst in an indoor arena next to RAF Bryce Norton, to the sound of military jets landing and taking off. He is clearly destined to become a high flyer. The whole team will be kept busy over the summer and can be seen at many venues as listed on hooky.co.uk backslash hooky hyphen shire hyphen horses. And there's a very nice black and white picture 
of a Hook Norton employee holding the reins of, unfortunately we don't know whether it's Balmoral or Lady Grey, but it's a very fine-looking shire horse. Well, that's all we have time for this week. Please remove the memory stick from the playback unit and close the metal shield. Remember to reverse the plastic address label on the yellow pouch before posting it back to us. Remember, it can be dropped into any post box. It does not have to be taken to the post office. Please send the pouches back as soon as possible, as we sometimes run out of labels and pouches and are then unable to continue our service to you. If you wish to contact us, simply put a slip of paper inside your pouch and we will then phone you. It only remains for me to thank the Whitney Gazette, the Chipping Norton News and the Countryman magazines for the stories we've used tonight. So our thanks to our technical expert, Graham Diacon, our copiers, Henry Spielberg and Byron Russell, who are copying the memory sticks, and to our admin team who have been checking the pouches and memory sticks you have returned to us and keeping our records. They are Valerie Palmer and Rachel Fielder. And finally, our four readers, Byron Russell, Bridget Walton, Henry Spielberg and Jean Thompson. I know everyone would like to say goodbye, and so until our next edition, goodbye. goodbye. TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. Hello, I'm Jilly, standing in once again for John. Now for a look at this coming week's radio highlights, starting with Saturday, 29th of July. And it's a big week for sport, as the fifth and final test in the England versus Australia Ashes series enters its third day. There's coverage from 10.30am to 7pm on Radio 4 Longwave and also on Radio 5 Sports Extra. Can England draw the series? Today's drama on Radio 4, Unmade Movies, Dennis Potter's The White Hotel, is an unproduced screenplay of D.M. Thomas's novel in which an analyst in 1930s Berlin tries to uncover the source of his patient's trauma and receives a glimpse of the future. Starring Anne-Marie Duff and Bill Patterson, it's at 2.30pm on Radio 4. Tonight's live BBC proms features the Scottish Chamber Orchestra and top soloists in a performance of Mendelssohn's oratorio, Elijah, one of the most popular works in the British choral repertoire from 6.30pm on Radio 3. In this week's Infinite Monkey Cage, Brian Cox and Robin Ince look at the discovery of Richard III's remains. That's on Radio 4 at 7.15pm and is repeated on Monday the 31st of July at 4pm. G.F. Newman's family saga, The Corrupted, moves into the 1990s as Sir Joshua Alinska is charged with handling stolen gold bullion. Tune in to Radio 4 at 9pm. Finally, for Saturday the 29th of July, you can hear Clive Myrie's Amazing Women of Jazz. In this final episode of the series, 
he celebrates singer-songwriter Amy Winehouse, who died in 2011. Tune in to Radio 2 at 12 midnight. Sunday the 30th of July. It's the fourth day of the Ashes Test. Coverage on Radio 4 Longwave from 10.30am to 7pm and on Radio 5 Sports Extra. Lauren Laverne's castaway this week on Desert Island Discs is Formula One executive Toto Wolff at 11.15am on Radio 4 and repeated on Friday the 4th of August at 9am. Then, in opening lines, John York delves into how the writer Jan Morris defied boundaries in Venice, exploring why her first impressions of the city in 1945 was so powerful. That's at 2.45pm on Radio 4. Followed at 3pm on Radio 4 by Robin Brooks's dramatisation of two of Jan Morris's non-fiction works, her travel book, Venice, and Conundrum, a personal account of her transition from man to woman, a ten-year journey that began shortly after Venice was published. File on Four this week is entitled Modern Slavery Hidden in Plain Sight, an investigation into how vulnerable people are being targeted and exploited for cheap labour, with the focus on rogue businesses such as the car wash and construction industries. File on 4 is at 5pm on Radio 4. Alexi Sales' Strangers on a Train continues as this week he meets passengers on a journey from Cheltenham to Meisteg. Here Donna and Paul reveal the addictive world of murder mystery weekends and shopkeepers Julie and David describe how after 50 years they are now the only shop left in their village. That's at 7.15pm on Radio 4 and repeated on Friday the 4th of August on Radio 4 Extra at 10pm. And now a look at those programmes which are broadcast each weekday at the same time. The Cazalets, The Light Years, a dramatisation of the 1990 family saga by Elizabeth Jane Howard, set in Sussex in 1937-38, continues on Radio 4 Extra. You can tune in each day this week at either 7.15am, 12.15pm or 5.15pm. Book of the Week is The Rooster House, My Ukrainian Family Story. Journalist Victoria Bellim was born in Kiev and emigrated to Chicago at the age of 15. The memoir of her Ukrainian family begins with a 2014 trip to her grandmother's house, the sinister Rooster House, so named for the decorations either side of the doors of this former KGB building. Book of the Week is on Radio 4 each weekday at 9.45am and repeated each night at 12.30am. Composer of the Week turns 80 and in this week's anniversary special, Donald MacLeod looks back on 10 memorable interviews with composers, starting with Stephen Sondheim and Judith Weir. Tune into Radio 3 each weekday at 12 noon. New storytellers 
showcases work by new radio producers, beginning with an account of a young girl band from Middlesbrough who in 1974 made a record for their idols, the Osmonds, with contributions from Paul Gambaccini. The series is on Radio 4 at 1.45pm each weekday. Book at Bedtime continues with Martin Amos's Money, reeling from the disastrous script of his movie, John Self jets back to London and his errant girlfriend at 10.45pm each night on Radio 4. Monday the 31st of July. The NHS Who Cares is this week entitled Road to Recovery. Kevin reveals how solutions devised by the workforce during the pandemic could be key to the future success of the NHS. At 9am on Radio 4 and repeated at 9.30pm. The Ashes Test Match enters its final day. Coverage, as usual, from 10.45am to 7pm on Radio 4 Longwave and Radio 5 Sports Extra. Today's drama, at 2.15pm on Radio 4, is Exposure by Hilary Wareham. When an intimate photo falls into the wrong hands, Kate and Emma's worlds start to crumble. In tonight's BBC Prom, live from the Royal Albert Hall, Californian-born conductor Ryan Bancroft delivers a classic all-American melting pot mix. Belgian virtuoso Annelien van Wolfe plays Aaron Copland's jazzy clarinet concerto, written originally for King of Swing Benny Goodman. The concert starts at 7.30pm on Radio 3. Following the death last month of actor and politician Glenda Jackson, there's another chance to hear her in conversation with Matthew Sweet as they discuss John Schlesinger's 1971 film Sunday Bloody Sunday, for which she won a BAFTA. Originally broadcast in 2021, that's Free Thinking at 10pm on Radio 3. Finally, for Monday the 31st of July, in this week's Rewinder, Greg James returns to the nervy days of the Cold War, uncovering recordings to be played on the radio in the case of a nuclear attack. He also hears about less alarming emergencies, including the time that a steamy gym shower forced Terry Wogan off air. Tune into Radio 4 at 11.30pm. Tuesday the 1st of August. Since Covid-19, there has been an upheaval in Britain's workforce as the number of working-age adults who are not in work or looking for work has soared to nearly 9 million. In a new series, Amal Rajan discusses what is driving this change. That's Rethink Work on Radio 4 at 9am and repeated at 9pm. Another new series is Bug in the System, the past, present and future of cancer. An investigation into cancer, where it came from, where it is going and how it can be overcome in the future. It's on today, Wednesday and Thursday of this week at 11am on Radio 4 
and then repeated from Monday the 7th of August at 9pm. England take on China in the Women's World Cup. Tune in to Radio 5 at 11am for the build-up, with live coverage from 12 noon. Today's drama on Radio 4 at 2.15pm is What's Love Got to Do With It? A futuristic comedy by Tom Wainwright. Couple Tina and Turner use an app called Q to manage their relationship. But when they delete it, things prove far from plain sailing. Can they find happiness without the app? In this week's Word of Mouth, Michael Rosen finds out about the family and cultural histories revealed by people's names at 4pm on Radio 4. In a new series of Great Lives, Countdown wordsmith Susie Dent discusses with Matthew Paris the death in Venice, author Thomas Mann. At 4.30pm on Radio 4 and repeated on Thursday the 3rd of August at 11.30am. In touch with Peter White is at 8.40pm on Radio 4 as usual. Then the live BBC Prom Tonight features an evening of jazz standards performed by Grammy-winning singer-songwriter Dee Dee Bridgewater alongside Carnegie Hall's National Youth Jazz Orchestra. Tune in to Radio 3 at 10.15pm. Wednesday the 2nd of August. In the final episode of History's Secret Heroes, Helena Bonham Carter tells the story of a Kosovan-Albanian merchant who risked his life and his family to offer shelter to Jewish families fleeing Nazi Germany and Austria on Radio 4 at 11.30am. Today's drama, Bangia Bantams, is based on the true story of how a Bradford women's community group became part of the supporters group for Bradford City Football Club on Radio 4 at 2.15pm. On Sunday afternoons for more than 30 years, Marjorie Elliott has played a jazz concert in her Harlem apartment for anyone who comes. Through her story, Matthew Syed explores how music has allowed Marjorie to look for joy within the deepest of losses. That's this week's Sideways, entitled Inside Marjorie's Parlour, at 4pm on Radio 4, and repeated on Sunday, 6th of August, at 12.15am. The Folk Show with Michael Radcliffe is on Radio 2 at 9pm, with highlights of live performances from last weekend's Cambridge Folk Festival. A series of three programmes entitled What's Funny About? starts tonight with The Vicar of Dibley. Dawn French and Richard Curtis discuss how to make an intrinsically nice character funny and French's strangest ever Vicar of Dibley gig. What's Funny About is on Radio 4 at 11.30pm tonight, Thursday and Friday of this week. Thursday the 3rd of August. Millions of people left Romania after it entered the EU in 2007. Now the Romanian government wants them to come home and has doubled health care salaries, offered tax breaks to builders 
and dished out thousands of euros in grants for returners who start up businesses. Find out more in Crossing Continents at 11am on Radio 4. All Consuming explores our culture of consumption through products that have changed the world. This week's topic is houseplants. Tune in to Radio 4 at 12.33pm. The Citadel is the title of today's drama, based upon the novel by A.J. Cronin. It is set in a doctor's surgery in South Wales, where Andrew and Christine are worried that they might have lost their baby. At 2.15pm on Radio 4. In Open Country this week, Helen Mark visits the Isle of Man to learn about a project to nurture temperate rainforests. She also finds out about Tholtons, abandoned agricultural dwellings which are a feature of the landscape. Open Country is at 3pm on Radio 4. Walt Disney A Life in Films continues with Mel Giedrush this week exploring Cinderella. It is a film filled with romance and wonder. But as Mel discovers, Walt's own life wasn't always a fairy tale. At 4pm on Radio 4. The Country Show with Bob Harris tonight features singer-songwriter Lucinda Williams, who this year has made an extraordinary comeback after suffering a stroke in 2020. Tune in to Radio 2 at 9pm. Friday the 4th of August. Marriage Lines, starring up-and-coming comic actors Prunella Scales and Richard Briers, was a very popular comedy in the 1960s. Now you can hear the whole of the first 13-part series, starting with the couple returning from their Paris honeymoon to find that they're locked out of their London flat, without so much as fourpence for the telephone box. There's a choice of times, 8am, 1pm or 6pm on Radio 4 Extra. More comedy with Ashley Baker, 6.5 Children. In a mix of stand-up and observational documentary, the comedian reflects on his home life. Six children, including three with special needs, as he finds the funny in raising children with disabilities. At 11.30am on Radio 4. Today's drama is the final episode of Bitter Pill. After a traumatic car crash... Mary joins a clinical drug trial that promises a cure for PTSD, but the medication triggers intense flashbacks. At 2.15pm on Radio 4. In the second part of their series, Windrush, A Family Divided, Robert and Jennifer Beckford look at identity and culture. Robert argues that moving to the UK was a transformative experience but Jennifer, in contrast, asserts that Caribbean culture in the UK is defined by stereotypes. Tune in to Radio 4 at 9.30pm. We end the week with comedy and What's Funny About, which tonight features Blackadder. Writer-producer John Lloyd and actor Tony Robinson discuss the problems they had when making the first series the tensions among the team 
and the story behind that famous final scene at 11.30pm on Radio 4. Happy radio listening. TNF Soundings TNF Soundings Features from across the UK Hello, this is Lizzie from Otley Talking News with Val's selection of audio-described TV programmes starting Saturday the 29th of July to Friday the 4th of August 2023. Let's have a look at what is on offer this week. Starting with Saturday the 29th of July. Coverage of the Women's Football World Cup is affecting some of the usual daytime schedules today. With Sweden versus Italy at 8.30am on BBC Two and France versus Brazil on BBC One at 11am. Levery Roots eats yam mash with Usain Bolt's family in Caribbean Food Made Easy on BBC Two at 11.15 this morning. Or join James Martin as he travels along the Thames to Bray in James Martin's Great British Adventure at 12.45pm on ITV1. Arms dealing and diamond smuggling are uncovered in the Bond film The Living Daylights at 4pm on ITV1. More contestants take on the giant money-making machine, The Launcher, in Moneyball at 8pm on ITV1. In this week's Saturday night hospital drama, a lie spirals out of control for an already guilt-ridden Donna. Casualty is at 8.25pm on BBC One. Elizabeth sighs with one of her siblings. But when Catherine's sworn enemy is released from the tower, Elizabeth is left stunned by what she has set in motion. The drama Becoming Elizabeth is on Channel 4 at 9.15pm. Lennox questions the prime suspect, but it's now a race against time to find the abducted girl. Avine Welsh's crime continues at 10pm on ITV1. We end the evening with the late-night film, a comedy-drama. Unemployed steelworkers come up with a bold plan to restore their fortunes and capitalise on their assets, taking their clothes off for money. The Full Monty is on BBC One at 10.25pm. Moving on to Sunday the 30th of July. The fantasy adventure, The Never-Ending Story, is the afternoon film on BBC One at 3.20pm. In tonight's nature series, the season is autumn and in northern Canada, the temperature plummets as low as minus 20 degrees. Meanwhile, in southern Africa, where the rains have been gone for months and the watering holes have all but dried up, an elephant grieves as she stands over the body of her calf. A Year on Planet Earth is on ITV1 at 8pm. 
In tonight's episode of the Sunday Night War drama, Stan and Rajib make a hasty retreat across the desert on foot. World on Fire is on BBC One at 9pm. Tonight's episode of the spy drama A Spy Among Friends at 9pm on ITV1 centres on Kim Philby's debriefing by the Soviets. Guy gets face-to-face with a drug dealer and former employee of the notorious Pablo Escobar in the second part of the documentary Our Guy in Colombia at 9pm on Channel 4. The late-night film on BBC Two is a thriller. Leonard Shelby is determined to avenge the murder of his wife, but his obsession leads him into a world where no one can be trusted. Memento is at 11pm on BBC Two. Now for those programmes which are on at the same time throughout the week. Homes Under the Hammer is at 115 Bargain Hunt is at 12.15. Rick Stein's Cornwall is at 1.45. Robson Green's Weekend Escape is at 12.15. And Escape to the Country is at 2.45pm. All these programmes are on BBC One Monday to Friday. Great Coastal Railway Journeys is on BBC Four at 7pm Monday to Thursday. Heartbeat is on ITV3 at 6pm and 7pm Monday to Friday. Let's have a look at Monday the 31st of July. We meet another NHS hero, Araf Sadiq, Scotland's first Muslim paramedic who has suffered racial abuse and even been assaulted. It's down to acclaimed photographer Brock Elbank to capture what Araf goes through every day. Extraordinary Portraits with Bill Bailey is on BBC One at 8.30pm. Two more teams battle it out for a place in the second round of University Challenge at 8.30pm on BBC Two. We have a new six-part crime thriller starting tonight, based on Mo Hyder's novels about D.I. Jack Caffery. The wealthy Anka Ferreira's family arrive at their Monmouthshire home, but are unnerved by gruesome events. Wolf is on BBC One at 9pm. The second episode is at the same time tomorrow. Chris Packham explores how plant life turned the planet from a barren rock into a vibrant green world in the documentary Earth at 9pm on BBC Two. Nikki Campbell and Davina McCall follow two more people looking for their birth families in Long Lost Family on ITV1 at 9pm. Another visit to A&E at Queen's Medical Centre in Nottingham in 24 hours in A&E at 9pm on Channel 4. Events organiser Moeed avoids tailored suits because they restrict his summer bag, but stylist David is on hand to fix him up a pair of trousers. 
We can find out the results in the unique boutique at five past eleven on Channel Four. On to Tuesday, the first of August. As the government phases out the use of gas boilers in our homes, this second documentary about the steps needed to combat global warming looks at the technology behind heat pumps and the vastly improved insulation of modern houses. Heat pumps: what they really mean for you is on BBC One at eight pm. King George the Fifth and Queen Mary visit Downton. In the first feature spin-off from the TV series, the film *Downton Abbey* is on ITV3 at 8 p.m. Contestants let their imaginations run riot as they create 24 reimagined Mirai Fule and 24 Pavlovas, served in unique ways. In tonight's *Bake Off the Professionals* at 8 p.m. on Channel 4. The West Midlands Police Drone Unit tracks a group of kids. Following reports, they were trying to set an allotment shed on fire. In Sky Coppers at 9 p.m., also on Channel 4. The second episode of the crime thriller Wolf is at 9 p.m. on BBC One. Now for Wednesday, the second of August. The team of experts revive a theatre chair from the auditorium of Derby Hippodrome, a unique and whimsical timepiece, and a cherished bronze locket. In this repeat of the repair shop at 8 p.m. on BBC One, George Clark meets novice DIY renovators who are aiming to transform a Georgian-style crescent house. That was subdivided into four flats during the 80s. However, with a budget of forty thousand pounds, no prior building experience, and a plan to live on site with two young children, will they achieve this? Find out in George Clark's old house, new home, on Channel Four at 8 p.m. Another batch of famous faces hope to impress the judges in the new series of Celebrity MasterChef at 9 p.m. on BBC One. In tonight's new chat show series, Kate Garraway delves behind the showbiz sparkle to learn how Strictly Come Dancing star Anton Dubeck endured many years of adversity. Kate Garraway's life stories is on ITV One at 9 p.m. John Self, a dysfunctional director of commercials, travels to America to make a feature film and ends up speeding towards self-destruction in the 2010 dramatization of Martin and Mrs. Novel Money on BBC Four at 10:15 p.m. Thursday, the third of August, the culinary battle continues as the remaining celebrities face three more challenges to secure their spot in the quarterfinal of Celebrity MasterChef at 8 p.m. on BBC One. 
This week, Tom Kerridge speaks to entrepreneurs keen to expand their businesses despite difficult economic times. The documentary "The Hidden World of Hospitality" with Tom Kerridge is on BBC Two at eight pm. The trainers give advice to Melissa, whose Labrador cross Milo makes a dash for it every time she calls his name. Find out how they get on in the Dog Academy on Channel Four at eight pm. A two-part true crime documentary follows the work of South Wales Police's major crimes unit as they try to solve the brutal murder of grandmother June Fox Roberts, from the 999 call through to the final court hearing. Code Blue: The Killing of June Fox Roberts is on ITV One at 9 p.m. In tonight's late-night film, Steven Spielberg's outstanding Holocaust drama tells the story of Second World War entrepreneur Oskar Schindler, whose operation to supply the German war effort led him to be the unexpected survivor of more than 1,000 Jewish factory workers in Poland. Schindler's List is on BBC One at 10:40 p.m. Finally, we come to Friday, the fourth of August. Snowdon has seven hundred and fifty thousand visitors a year. This documentary from the Our Life series explores what it's like to keep the mountain running smoothly. Britain's busiest mountain is on BBC One at seven thirty p.m. Experts snoop around castles and collections. To unearth treasures for auction that could raise life-changing sums of cash, in the new documentary series *Millionaire Hoarders* at 8 p.m. on Channel 4. The first quarter-final sees this week's top four cooks preparing two courses to be judged by three former contestants. Celebrity Master Chef is on BBC One at 8:30 p.m. Lee becomes an ultra-competitive dad when he watches Benji play football in the sitcom *Not Going Out* at 9 p.m. on BBC One. The final two episodes of the documentary series examining the career of Marilyn Monroe are broadcast tonight. Determined to become a serious actress, Marilyn is forging a new identity for herself in New York. Reframed, Marilyn Monroe starts at 9 p.m. on BBC Two. We end the week with some comedy. Diane worries that she failed to impress the school governors in the sitcom *The Power of Parker* on BBC One at 9:30 p.m. DNF Soundings.